Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. Young adults and teenagers in the 1980s may look back and regret some of their choices. Things like, I wish I hadn't grown my mullet out for senior pictures. I definitely wish I hadn't wrecked that super sweet IROC Z Camaro I had. And in hindsight, I probably should have thought twice before I had sex with that hitchhiker chick on spring break. But what this generation got to witness firsthand was the uprising of glam rock and hair metal. Wicked guitar shreds, giant feathered hair, and guy liner were all over MTV, and rockers Guns N' Roses were making a name for themselves across America with their outlandish behavior controversial lyrics, and undeniable new explosive sound. Parents hated them, kids loved them, managers feared them, and the man in front of it all, Axl Rose, seemed to be the perfect man for the job. With a voice that is unmistakably and undeniably one of the most unique, and in my opinion, one of the greatest of all time, his story before he got to GNR fame is one that is worth learning about and may foreshadow why he's become one of America's most notorious potential assholes. Years of stories about Axel and his annex are well documented and are what often brought his name into the headlines. But is Axel just a misunderstood artist who strives to ease his pain through his music? The insecurities he felt due to his grandmother's verbal rants, could we have known that this would inspire him to write the hit, Back Off Bitch? We'll examine that question and a whole lot more. So Axel, do you know where you are? You're in Asshole Court! All right, guys, fun topic on this show. What are your initial thoughts on Axl Rose? All right, Axl Rose, um, I'll start off. I listened to a lot of their music, Guns N' Roses, growing up in the 80s and 90s. I was really impressed with their initial album. I mean, Appetite for Destruction. That was a, a an incredible album to come out and, I mean, really rocketed and uh, propelled them into the limelight. I was not a big fan of use your illusion one and two i felt like it could have been condensed Mm -hmm. um and from that point on i just kind of fell off i mean they had the good hit or two that would come out but um just kind of fell off of my radar as i kept on going i've heard stories about actual rose i i never really dived too deep into it prior to us choosing to do him on the show but um i i did hear that he was uh, a notorious diva from back in the day and i know that there was a lot of battles that happened with the band in the band and with other bands along the way. So my initial asshole score for Axel Rose is going to be a 6.5. We'd say the average person is a three or a four on the asshole scale. And I got to imagine that Axel Rose, even with my limited knowledge of him, but with what I do know, he does seem to be quite the asshole, uh, entitled asshole. Mm-hmm. And I am going to give him a 6.5 to start off with. All right. A 6.5 for Buddy. <clears throat> so I uh, have a fairly good ability to separate people from their art in most cases. It doesn't bother me too bad if they're a giant dick. And Appetite for Destruction is arguably, and in my mind, the greatest debut album from any band ever of yeah. all time. It's oh, one yeah. of the, I think it's one of the greatest albums of the 80s. It's just such a banger, and I, I'm a huge Guns N' Roses fan. I also know that Axl Rose is a giant dick. I've gone to a concert and had to sit there and wait for him to show up. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to keep it short and sweet here. I love Guns N' Roses. Axl Rose can fuck right off. I'll also, well, nah, I'm gonna, I'll give him a six because, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, 
He's a dick, but I don't think he killed anybody. So let's go six. All right, six point oh for Mikey. So yeah, pre-show Axl Rose was my selection, and kind of an odd selection because I absolutely love Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm. Been a huge Axl Rose fan, uh, just from what I know about his music, and you know from what you see on MTV, things like that back in the day. His energy and his voice are unlike another. Doing the research for this show, you hear a lot of stuff about the energy and their their music is like a loaded gun. But unfortunately, I do know uh, some of his antics and, of course, the shit that's hit the headlines. Pre-show, I had a 5.0. Okay. All right, so 5.0 going in. Slightly above average ass or yeah. average person. All right, so that's uh, Buddy in with a 6.5, Mikey in with a 6.0. And Randy in with a 5.0 gives Axel Rose a pre-score average of 5.83 repeating. Okay. All right. You boys ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. William Bruce Rose Jr. was born February 6, 1962 in Lafayette, Indiana, to mother Sharon Elizabeth and father William Bruce Rose. Hold on. Wait. He's a junior? He is a junior. Oh. Oh. And William Bruce? William Bruce Rose. All right. Can you believe he's 58 years old? 58. That makes me feel a little bit Doesn't old. Doesn't it, though? Well, yeah, we are old, dude. We're oh, getting old. <laughs> <laughs> Axel has a younger sister, Amy, and a younger half-brother, Stuart. They were raised in a very typical suburban fashion in Lafayette by their mother and stepfather, Stephen Bailey. Unfortunately, that is not true at all. Um, and as we will discuss more, the traumatic and downright shitty events that happened to Rose as a child most likely laid the groundwork for some of the bizarre behavior and toxic relationships that have haunted the rock star throughout his life. For starters, Axel's mom and dad split up when Axel was two years old. His dad has been characterized as a troubled youth and was 20 when Junior Rose was born. Axel's mom, Sharon, just 16. So think about that guy, Mm -hmm. the 20-year-old that uh, hooks up with high school chicks a couple years after he's dropped out. I think that was fairly common back then, though, right? Good old statutory rape. Still bad, Produces the baby. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To say that Axel and his uh, dad got off on the wrong foot would be an understatement. How could a baby get off on the wrong foot with her father? So let's have Axel tell us himself. In a Rolling Stone interview he did in April of 1992, Rose talks about his participation in regression therapy. Regression therapy is a specific approach to psychotherapy that helps people improve their emotional and cognitive health by resolving past events. In the interview, Rose claims that he has a good idea of what was going on in his life, almost back to conception. Yikes. Yeah. When asked uh, what he learned from this, he said, My mom's pregnancy wasn't a welcome thing. My mom got a lot of problems out of it, and I was aware of those problems. That would tend to make you real fucking insecure about how the world felt about your ass. My real father was a pretty fucked up individual. I didn't care for him too much when I was born. I didn't like the way he treated my mother. I didn't like the way he treated me before I was born. So when I came out, I was just wishing the motherfucker was dead. So, uh, interesting take on things, but from what Axel can remember and what he's been told, his dad was a pretty serious asshole. Yeah. Mm, okay. But the, yeah, the regression therapy there, he's a big homeopathic yes, therapeutic guy. Uh, yeah, yes. All sorts of problems here, because regression therapy itself has all sorts of its own problems, because it's very easy, at least is the argument from a lot of people in the psychiatric field, that it's very easy to implant memories mm-hmm. with people. And this guy started talking about, like, as soon as I was born, I hated my dad. I knew that my dad was a dick. Before the first I was time I looked at yeah, him. dude. And then he's like, "Something told me that this pregnancy was unwanted." I mean, I don't think you have to I go to regression. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you have to go to regression therapy for that. <laughs> but it, it sounds like the shoe fits. So just as Bill Rose was getting ready to split town and leave his young family behind for good, he kidnapped and abducted his young son, Axel. Mm. Yeah, he held him for several hours, and during which he sexually molested his young son. Through his regression therapy, Rose claims to remember a lot of what happened, including sodomy, needles, and something bad that happened to my mother when she came to get me, according to Rose. Oh. And there was a quote by Axel in the interview I'm just not going to use, but yeah, it was pretty graphic. Okay. But yeah, obviously, everybody vouches for it. It was true. Man. Very unfortunate. It is definitely unfortunate. I feel for the guy, but uh, I also am thinking like, man... (laughs) I wouldn't tell that to, like, you guys, much less Rolling Stone <laughs> magazine. <laughs> How was your dad? He was pretty cool, man. I mean, Let me tell you a story a about him real quick. Uh, first time I met him. <laughs> Shortly after William Rose left town, Axel's mother met Stephen Bailey, whom she went on to wed when Axel was still very young. His mother and stepfather changed his legal name to William Bruce Bailey. 
After they were married, Axel was known and raised as Bill Bailey. Bill Bailey. Bill okay. Bailey. Yep. Seems like the name that fits him. Yeah. Uh, Beetle Bailey's immediately what I think every time. <laughs> they never told Axel about his real father, and he was raised to believe that Stephen Bailey was his real father. Okay. Well, they yeah. didn't have to tell him about it. He remembered him from... That's what I was thinking. Well, not you know, at that so. point. You know what I mean? Yeah, he only with regression <laughs> therapy and homeopathy is when he remembered... The Bailey household was strict and extremely religious, attending a Pentecostal church regularly. What do you guys know about Pentecostals? Uh, we've already talked about Pentecostals. Of course they we speak have. speak in tongues. I oh, went yeah. to a Pentecostal church. Handle the snakes. It, they handle snakes. And also, that this is the reason why Appetite for Destruction had that cross on it, is because he was really into Jesus. Axel <laughs> 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 was quoted in a 1992 interview with Dell James saying, I was brainwashed in a Pentecostal church. I'm not against churches or religion, but I do believe, like I said in Garden of Eden, that most organized religions make a mockery of humanity. My particular church was filled with self-righteous hypocrites who were child abusers and child molesters. These were people who'd been damaged in their own childhoods and in their lives. These were people who were finding God, but still living with their damage and inflicting it upon their children. I had to go to church anywhere from three to eight times a week. I even taught Bible school while I was being beaten and my sister was being molested. We'd have televisions one week, then my stepdad would throw them out because they were satanic. I wasn't allowed to listen to music. Women were evil. Everything was evil. I had a really distorted view of sexuality and women. I remember the first time I got smacked for looking at a woman. I didn't know what I was looking at, and I don't remember how old I was. But it was a cigarette advertisement with two girls coming out of the water in bikinis. I was just staring at the TV, not thinking, just watching. And my dad smacked me in the mouth, and I went flying across the floor. Any music outside of church wasn't allowed, although Axel and his brother and sister often performed at the church under the name The Bailey Trio. Oh, man, man I can imagine him being like the lead singer of the church band. Of yeah. the Bailey Trio. Yeah. So to rewind a little bit, Axel Rose as a Sunday school teacher. Which is awesome. I also uh, also want to comment on the the commercial with the two chicks coming out of the water for a cigarette commercial. They're like wet ass cigarettes that are like broken in half. They're like Newport lifestyle. Mm, lifestyle. What are you looking at, son? He's Wham! like, Wham! Yeah. But yeah, Axel Rose as your Sunday school teacher. Yeah. But attending church three to eight times a week. I did. Wow. Man, swear to God. Nice. Wow. I did. Dude, yeah. When I was a kid, when I was in those, when I was in that church as a kid, we went, it was pretty much our entire, I went to the church school. We were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And then there would be like extra things or whatever. That's how it works, man. Man, we grew up Catholic and we were there once a week and I already felt like that was too much, let alone. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. It was all where all my friends were at. So it was like, kind of go hang out, you know, your Maybe. forced friends. That's it. They were. Yes. <laughs> At church is where Axel began to experiment with different voices and octaves, often pissing off the choir teacher. Axel yearned to learn more about music of the outside world, but had a hard time getting it into the house. According to a grunge.com article, Rose says, I remember once my friend Dave called me and played Super Tramp over the phone. I just acted like I was talking to him so no one would know. So that's how strict it was at his house. Like he yeah. literally couldn't listen to music. You know, it's true. Oh, I remember man. I couldn't watch Beetlejuice because it was Beetlejuice was the devil. E.T. was a demon, according uh, to my what? grandmother. I swear oh. Christ, oh, this is true. I know exactly what he's talking about. I was there, not at his church, which I wish I'd been in church <laughs> for Axl Rose's fucking sermon. It would have been excellent. But yeah, no, it was the, everything was, they were terrified of everything. I mean, it sounds like the Bobby Boucher, like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's evil. You would think in a normal situation. Or that's the devil. That's why it's so funny to the average person, because you're like, it's so absurd. But if you're actually in that environment and stuff like that, like you couldn't. I, like the idea of listening to Ozzy Osbourne in the 80s was like, I was like, that guy is Satan incarnate. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was, I was terrified of him. Music's the devil, Mikey. It's the devil. Mama said heavy metal music gonna make your brain rot, Bobby Boucher. <laughs> so the story goes that when Axel was 17 years old, he found some insurance paperwork along with his mother's high school diploma that showed the last name Rose on it. Bill Bailey put the pieces together and found out that he was born William Bruce Rose Jr. Once Axel found out his parents hadn't been truthful to him, it definitely seemed to fuck with his head and he began to get into trouble, being described by one person as the juvenile delinquent of Lafayette. Ooh. You're not my dad! <laughs> 
Damn, These are the mean streets of Lafayette, <laughs> and I'm out here stabbing dudes, writing songs. According to a 1988 Rolling Stone article, Axel was arrested by his count over 20 times, serving as long as three months in jail for crimes such as public intoxication and battery, essentially drinking and fighting. Oh. Yeah. All right. He always represented himself at trials, quote, because I didn't trust public defenders for shit. A psychiatrist who noted Bailey's high IQ decided that his behavior was evidence of psychosis. On the placement test in school, he said, I was always in the top 3%, he told Rolling Stone. However, he dropped out in the 11th grade, went back as a senior, and then dropped out again. Well, I don't know if you guys know this, but the actual story Goodwill Hunting was based on uh, Bill Bailey's life. Nice. That makes a lot more yeah. sense, actually. He yeah. represented himself and just dropped lawyers dead. That's right. <laughs> In than, Lafayette. More than 20 times, yeah. Yeah, 20 times. Mr. Rose, I've heard you referencing the Boston Tea Party to get out of court. That is correct. He said, uh, I'm going to go with Keto versus New Connecticut to explain why I punched that loser in his face outside the pool hall. And they said, case closed. <laughs> Dismissed. All right. So he also decided to unofficially readopt his birth name around this time, saying in the interview with Dell James, I was born William Rose. I am W. Rose because William was an asshole. Axel now considers Stephen Bailey his real dad, but he discovered his hidden past at a time when he was growing his hair, playing in bands, and fighting with his parents. That explains a lot, too. Do you remember, and I'm sure this is the case in almost every school that anybody, any of you people listening are aware of, there's always some kid in school that comes back after a summer with a different last name, and you're like... What the fuck's going on, man? <laughs> and I think I think we just under like finally understand like what's actually happening. And honestly, think about the time in his life. He's right at seventeen years old or so. You see it a lot of the time if parents you have a divorce or something traumatic happens yeah. in a person's life around that time where they're mentally still not developing. Quite, yeah, they're they're still developing. Yeah, emotions are very raw at that. Oh, they, dude. Everything feels so Absolutely. real. To you. And you're Absolutely. dumb as shit. Yeah. yeah, man, you're dumb as hell at 17 years you old. Even if you're smart, all that. No, but when man. things like that happen at that age, it really, man, you can you see a lot of people's lives pivot. Unfortunately, yeah. one way or the other. Yeah, they're point. unhappy and they're like, now I'm going to change. Everything's going to change now because I'm going to change this last name. Now I get a whole new brand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take two. Take two. After so many arrests, Rose was told that he was going to be charged as a habitual offender, mm -hmm. uh, pretty much be put under the jail the next time he got arrested. I'm guessing that's some sort of like felony status or something, a habitual offender. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I guess if, if he's actually, that was uh now, of course, you have the three strikes, you're out thing was happening in the 90s, but I guess you, Maybe this you've was always, a little bit before that. You've always had habitual offender situations where if you're constantly getting in trouble, your you're, you're, um, sentencing goes way up. Old Bill's in the drunk tank again. There he is again, man. Bailey. That's it. In pure Axel fashion, the story is he hitchhiked to L.A., wandered around until he found Izzy Stradlin, the only person he knew in California in December of 1983. His childhood buddy, Jeff Isabel, a.k.a. Izzy Stradlin, had moved out there a couple years prior and was playing in the music scene in L.A. already. So Izzy was from Lafayette, too? Izzy was from Lafayette okay, that makes and sense. played with Axel in a band back in the and day. I, so okay. that story is hyper-believable. Yeah. Absolutely. People yeah, were sure. absolutely hitchhiking out that way. Yep. So real quick, I read two different stories about how he got the name Axel. So at this point, right, it's just Bill Bailey. We don't mm -hmm. know how he got the name Axel. One read that it was a band that he started when he got to L.A. named AXL or okay. Axel, doesn't really specify and another said that it was a band he started in Indiana before he moved to L.A. called Axel. Yeah. Um, but both stories pretty much say that the people around him said he was so engrossed with the band itself yeah. that they told him, dude, you ought to change your name to Axel. And he said, that sounds way better than Bill Bailey. Oh, it, oh way better. Yeah, he's oh, like, man. I was thinking about Gear Shifter. <laughs> or maybe, you know, uh, Clutch. Clutch. <laughs> he said, anti-lock brake system. <laughs> ABS. <laughs> Well, it, it, def it definitely is a memorable name. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, fits, oh, it fits him. It fits him. The only there's only one of them. Are well, there any other axles? Gonna, only other axle that I've ever heard of, Axel Foley from Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, that and yes. uh, if you played the Sega Genesis in Streets of Rage, he was Axel. There was Axel there, too. But I think he was more framed off of Axel Rose because oh, he had okay. a bandana. Oh, oh, well, there oh yeah. And he beat women up real bad. <laughs> oh. Damn. Actual Foley was a cool character. He was yeah, a really sure. cool character. Absolutely. Dude, Eddie Murphy back in the 80s. Oh, That's yeah. maybe it. Cause what, uh, so uh, let me ask you this one. Beverly Hills Cop came out in 84. Yeah. Okay. So that's around the same All time right. he changed his Man. name to Axel. Inter Axel what Foley. If, 
Well, what if that was like, the influence? That's what on I'm it. saying. Yeah, like, he was like, "Holy shit!" He's like, "I'm not sure whether I should be Bill Cosby or Axel Foley." Axel. I don't know if I should be Clutch. Yeah, or Axel. <laughs> I'm uh, go Axel Rose. If this podcast winds up in your inbox, you mm. should look into getting the royalties from the Axel Foley money off Beverly Hills Cop. I don't think that would two. work. At or all. what <laughs> if you actually see like the Beverly Hills Cop music come on? Do. And then all of a sudden, Axel Rose jumps out. And he starts doing the sway. Axel sway side to side. No, I'm seriously. Maybe he did pick it from that. I'm just kidding. Instead of just whipping out your phone and pushing random buttons in that awkward situation, make sure you're subscribed to our channel on your favorite podcast platform. You don't want to miss a new show. Now, back to the action. He legally changed his name to W. Axel Rose prior to signing his contract with Geffen Records in March of 1986. All right. Okay. So once Axel arrived in L.A., he was looking to join a band and get some gigs. The story is he met guitar player Kevin Lawrence outside the famous Troubadour nightclub in West Hollywood. Okay. If you don't know, the Troubadour is a very famous concert venue. It's got lots of history and all kinds of different music. Yep. Elton John played his first concert in the U.S. there. Oh, wow. Yep. John Lennon got kicked out for heckling the Smothers Brothers. And it's also where Cheech and Chong, along with Steve Martin, were discovered. Yeah. So okay, all well. kinds of cool shit. I mean, this place has lots of history to it. The Troubadour is a, mm-hmm. a big, cool place. I'm just curious who the Smothers Brothers are. Yeah, oh, like, oh man, you they were the huge Smothers back Brothers? in the 60s, uh, man. Yeah. They were a lame comedy duo. It was uh, It was probably funny at the time. At the time. Yeah, yeah it know. was now you look generationally funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. So, yeah, back in the late 70s and 80s, it was all about glam bands and rock and roll at the Troubadour. Motley Crue, Poison, Rat. I read that most recently it's selling out with guys like Harry Styles and Bastille. So oh, yeah, the Sunset Strip is notorious for like music, but it's changed a lot. Like uh, the Whiskey A Go Go is a classic place. So like with the doors, and I all Google those guys map guys that place. Well, yeah, where... I've been there. I've been. Right. I've been. There was a place there called that was like uh, you have the whiskey. You have like the Rainbow Room. There's yep. a bunch of stuff like there. <laughs> I lived in a hotel off of Sunset Strip for. Oh, like, I remember for a this while. story. Oh this wow, gnarly. Yeah. Yeah, what was it like a like. 100 by 100 square foot room oh, or something? Oh, no. It was a fucking total roach. That was terrifying. And it was, uh, yeah, it was just, it was, it was, it was just fucking, it was horrible. <laughs> That's all I can say. There you go. Axel's new buddy, Kevin Lawrence, let him join his band Rapid Fire. With Axel on the mic and the rest of the band, a bunch of guys I've never heard of, they recorded a five song demo in May of 1983. Rapid Fire didn't really come out firing and the band broke up. According to Axel's Wikipedia page, after parting ways with Lawrence, he formed the band Hollywood Rose with his childhood friend Izzy Stradlin, who had moved to Los Angeles in 1980, and 16-year-old guitarist Chris Weber. Not Sounds that, like a basketball player. Not that, not that Chris yeah. Weber, a 16-year-old at that time playing guitar in L.A. In January 1984, the band recorded a five-song demo, which was released 20 years later in 2004 as The Roots of Guns N' Roses. I'd like to hear that. Oh, yeah, I'd like to hear that, you too. You could probably find it real quick. Yeah. Guitarist Slash and drummer Steven Adler, future members of Guns N' Roses, joined Hollywood Rose before the band's dissolution. Axel then joined L.A. Guns. While struggling to make an impact on the Hollywood music scene, Rose held down a variety of jobs, including the position of night manager at the Tower Records location on Sunset Boulevard. Tower's famous, absolutely. Oh, man, huge out there. It's crazy. They've got a really cool story, too. Tower does? Yeah, Tower does, yeah. Also during this time, Rose and Izzy Stradlin smoked cigarettes for a scientific study at UCLA for the reported wages of $8 an hour, which is equivalent to $20 an hour in 2019. Well, uh, that's interesting. I mean, like, so would you just sit there and smoke till you got sick or something? I have no idea how that worked, but 20 bucks an hour, essentially, back then. Okay. That's good money. (laughs) Just to go back real quick about the shack that Guns N' Roses lived out of before they signed with Geffen Records, Mm -hmm. the 1988 Rolling Stones interview read, Teresa Ensonite was in Geffen's A&R department when she heard about the Gunners in the fall of 1985. Because the band didn't have a phone, it took Ensonite and Tom Zutat, her A&R partner, several months to find them. Eventually, they found the band living in what Ensonite calls this thing, a tiny CD studio apartment on Sunset and Gardner. Mm-hmm. Izzy Stradlin called it a fucking living hell. There was no bathroom, shower, or kitchen. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. By stealing lumber from a construction site, they built a loft to sleep no more than three at a time. Yeah, I mean, They look, built a place to fucking live in. Dude, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> if you want to get out there and do it, you need to develop a place that doesn't even have a toilet. 
Yeah, That's right. the only way you can make it as a rock star. Jeez. I, Slash had the right idea. He said, I'd fuck girls just so I could stay at their place. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he was just slaying it, you know what I mean? Because Slash is such a handsome man. man. There were parties in the parking lot next door almost every night, which brought a consistent procession of pimps, drug dealers, and cops through the studio. If they had enough money to buy a hamburger, they would burn Steve's drumsticks for firewood. Yeah. Interesting. Right. So oh, that's even pretty though expensive firewood. It doesn't last very long either. <laughs> Not at all. Hey, give me some more sticks. He's like, I got three left, dude. They're like, well, we've already gone through all of them in like, I don't know, 45 seconds. <laughs> that's only like fucking Kimberly. <laughs> like, what the fuck? We can't even afford a definitely loan. <laughs> even after they decided to sign with Geffen in the spring of 86, they pretended to be undecided just so competing labels would continue to take them out for meals. <laughs> Love it. So at this time, Axel was banned from the Rainbow in L.A. Club for two years because of obnoxious behavior. We would just go out and get annihilated, pass out flyers, and just make everybody in the room know who we were, he said. They were like vermin. They drank too much, they didn't practice safe sex, and they didn't do aerobics. It was like the complete opposite of what the 80s was about, says Slash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, I heard about this new band. That guy over there that handed me this flyer, he grabbed my titty and then slapped me in the face. It's great. <laughs> we should check him out this weekend. <laughs> According to a Ranker.com article, Guns N' Roses was scheduled to sign to Geffen Records in July of 1986. The label shot the band to stardom with the release of Appetite for Destruction in 1987, but the contract almost wasn't signed thanks to Axel's eccentric behavior. The morning of the meeting, Rose was unable to find his contact lenses and decided that someone had stolen them. Man, that dude's rocking contact lenses in 85. Oh, Those things yeah. are like literally like windshield pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Axel refused to attend the meeting, threw a tantrum, and stormed off while the other band members frantically searched for the missing lenses. Just put your glasses on, Axel. <laughs> I'm not wearing my glasses to the signing. <laughs> Just put this piece of broken glass in your eyes and let's get there. It's about the same size. <laughs> Manager Vicky Hamilton recalls what was going through Axel's head was who took my contact lenses so I can't read the contract slash eventually located the lenses, which were conveniently stored in a pair of roses pants, then tracked down the singer who was hiding on the roof of the whiskey a go go. There yep. you go. Okay. The band was about four hours late to the meeting, but some of the record executives were still there waiting for him. That's how good they were. I mean, apparently, you know what I'm saying? Late well, they since must day one. This, they must know at this point to like set those meetings up for 8 a.m. so that way they still have all day right. to actually show up. Where's Axel at? I can't find my contact list. <laughs> Fuck this shit. Whoever took him's going to die. <laughs> With Guns and Roses signed, they began to work on their debut album, Appetite for Destruction. To say it was a success is an understatement. Appetite has sold in excess of 30 million copies worldwide and is the best-selling debut album of all time in the U.S. with 18 million units sold. Well-deserved, man. Well-deserved. I man, think it probably is the best debut album. You want to talk about a banger album, like, front to back? Like, that thing is just electric, mm -hmm. especially I mean, back then. That th it was a new sound. Like, yeah. they were just on I mean, top of their game. It's what so good that, on that, like, Sweet Child of Mine. That's what I'm saying. Paradise it's so good City. that I'm tired of half of it because I've heard it so many fucking times. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, I guess they were kind of towards the end of artists that you could play the whole album through no totally right? no there's still other you know there, I mean? it still continues but i'm saying that's the definition of a great album is when you can play front to back but that's what i'm saying what makes it so good is that there were so many good songs that they actually got radio play that i just don't ever want to hear those again that instead of going like i don't want to hear sweet child of mine ever again but i will crank up rocket queen it's so fucking good i have, yeah, to, I have yeah, to disagree i wish that every day of my life i would wake up in a montage to the beginning of paradise <laughs> city with uh that awesome guitar riff and the drums start kicking in right as your feet yeah. hit the ground coming out of bed pan over to the alarm clock that's exactly, but the old 80s alarm clock that's exactly yeah. right yeah. beautiful little montage 80s style paradise city yeah oh it's a great like said, there's, yeah. a, there's not a bad track on that album it's a great album so this is about the time where a lot of the stories have been told about Axl Rose and Guns N' Roses start to play out. The band went to New York City to record their debut album. Axl wound up laying down a unique solo of his own in the recording studio. Oh, yeah. According to a Ranker.com article, Adriana Smith was a 19-year-old stripper, Guns N' Roses groupie, and girlfriend of drummer Steven Adler in 1987. Seeking revenge after Adler slept with another woman, Smith had a drunken affair with Axl. 
When she dropped in on the band when they were recording in New York City, Axel proposed doing it in the vocal booth and recording it for the use on the track Rocket Queen. What a dick. Smith was hesitant until a bottle of Jack Daniels came into play. According to sources close to Camp GNR, Adler didn't react as badly as he could have, believing Smith's actions were actually for the good of the band. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that's a pretty high road to take at that point. <laughs> well, <laughs> also, he was a raging alcoholic, so they literally they were like, hey, man, I know you hate this shit, but uh, <laughs> I got a bottle of Jack that says you're going to love it. And he's like, it's the same bottle of Jack that they gave her girlfriend. Uh, it sounds girlfriend. pretty good to me. If it's for the good of the band, just give me another bottle, well, man. He's already banging other chicks at that point. Too. Yeah, yeah, I know. Still, but... But still, even with that, it's but hot. still, when the lead singer of the band fucks your stripper girlfriend, and then puts it on the album for posterity, for forever, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, in a normal situation, you're like, I can't believe you fucked my girlfriend, and we'll get past this, and we're friends, and whatever. But he's like, oh, by the way, uh, it's also on the track that we're putting on the album. <laughs> it's on track number four. He's like, fuck two. this, man. He's like, just take this bottle of Jack, bro. You'll be fine with it. And he's like, strangely enough, I am. <laughs> so think about that. This is what. 33 years later, and we're still talking about this. Oh, yeah. This. Oh, yeah. She was 19 at the time, so that puts her at what? 52? 52 years old. That's now. what she tells her husband or like her kids now. Hey, you guys love Guns N' Roses? Hey, check this out. You want to hear me? I was actually super famous. I've been credited on one song on yeah. one of the most amazing albums of all time. Does she get like residuals or whatever off that? Does she get royalties? She should. Yeah. yeah from the 80s, they, they yeah. were pretty good about paying out the royalties back then. While on the Appetite for Destruction tour, one of the band's roadies named Big Ron got 15 minutes of fame when he took over the lead vocals from Guns N' Roses at the Omni Coliseum in Atlanta on, hey, no- yay. on no- s- November 20th, 1987. Sweet child of mine. Hey, guys, I'm, I'm taking over Raxer. She's got hearts on the bluest skies. <laughs> Boo this man! Oh, I'm trying my best. Yeah, no, I actually saw a couple shows at the Omni, so it's a it's a great oh, yeah. it was a great arena to great have venue, concerts yeah. at. So what happened was during the show, Axel jumped off the stage and punched several cops before being arrested and dragged off. Solid. According to the head of security of the day, first strike, he hit an Atlanta police officer. Second strike, he hit an Atlanta female police officer. Third strike, he, he hit, hit a, a Nashville black. police officer, which was really <laughs> weird, man. <laughs> no, third strike, he hit a black female Atlanta police officer. He's going to jail. Luckily, the concert promoter was on the ball and convinced security to let Axel go as long as he apologized. Rose signed a written apology, then suddenly changed his mind and said to one of the cops, Fuck you, you fucking jag-off cop. Man. Yeah. Yep. But what Dude, he, this on. guy was about to get about to walk away from punching two cops <laughs> yeah, and a third security person and a just couldn't keep it too and couldn't yeah. keep his mouth shut for like, fucking two seconds. Steve, we got a uh, rock singer up here. He just punched a cop. Is she black? <laughs> That's a negative. All right, let it keep going. Oh, he just punched. He just punched a black cop. Arrest his ass. It's over now. <laughs> I mean, seriously, they're like, you get two two cops punched by the guy and they let the third one roll through. Well, meanwhile, Big Ron sang a few cover classics accompanied by several long guitar and drum solos. As promoter Charlie Brusco recalled, I heard this horrible sound. I looked up and one of the guys in the road crew was singing. I read an interview with Axel where he talked about this one. And he said the cops kept shoving his friends who were there to see him. He said he told him repeatedly to stop shoving his people. And then he wound up taking matters into his own hands. There you go. But man, that was like the best 15 minutes of that roadie's life. Oh, like, man. Ever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> He's still talking about it right now. Absolutely. Like, his alive. grandkids are still talking about yeah. that. My grandpa got up on stage and played with Guns N' Roses for 15 hours. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, back in Georgia in yeah. the Omni. I just can't, I mean, I, I just can't believe that Axel punched three cops and it took the third one. <laughs> it still blows my mind. They're like, just let it keep one going. One two, we're going to give them a pass. That's Number it. three. Uh, now it's getting weird. Now, now we draw the line. In the haze that was 1988, in Chicago, the band members got hassled when they tried to check into a hotel early. A fight was narrowly averted. Later that night in the hotel bar, Axel punched a businessman who hassled his friends and called the singer a Bon Jovi lookalike. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You got that John Bon Jovi look. And he decked him. Dozens of cops broke up the brawl. Axel and Steven went to jail. Afterward, Goldstein, who was kind of their handler, found Slash drunk in the bar. He threw the guitarist over his shoulder and carried him back to his room. 
to show us thanks slash peed on Goldstein's shoulder. That makes sense. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't think it was even intentional. He just so drunk he just peed on his shoulder. I mean, what do you expect's going to happen? You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> it's like it would be like picking up your buddy uh, when you're kids at a, at a house party, you know, and, and uh, he's throwing up on your back and you like throw him onto the back porch. Because yeah. for some reason, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or have a guy lock himself in your car and throw up all in yeah. your car. Yeah, that happened to me once. That's true, yeah. Thanks hey. for that. Yeah. You know, right in the middle of summertime, too. Yeah, it was. So, I also want to point something out here, too. Like, Axl Rose isn't necessarily built like a brick shit house, And uh, he's punching the shit out of all sorts of people. He'd like, love to fight, dude. Now, I know. Like, we know fight. his stature. Like, what is his, what, what are his? I mean, I feel like I'd fight him. I know in a couple of his interviews, he talked about he has knee and ankle problems, and he talks about having to get his ankles taped before concerts. <laughs> swear to God. Swear to God. A couple years later, on July 2nd, 1991, Guns N' Roses performed at the Rivermont Amphitheater near St. Louis. In the middle of Rocket Queen, Axel spotted someone in the audience taking pictures and demanded security personnel take the camera. When his request was denied... Axel leapt mid-song into the audience, grabbed the camera, and attacked the photograph-taking fan and various members of the security team. I've seen that video. It's yep. incredible, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That dude really was fucking fearless. Oh. I mean, like, I don't even know what's wrong with that guy. Like, he's built, I mean, like a regular-ass dude, and he's fighting everybody. Well, yeah, we just actually got the stats on him. It's 5'9", okay. uh, 174. That's a thick-ass dude. Five. I'm not saying, like, built, but 5'9", and 174? Yeah, that's not that big. I mean, it's bigger Maybe, than the, he looks. I bet back in the 80s he was a little slimmer. Yeah, I was yeah. like, I don't yeah, even, yeah. yeah. So anyway, Axel climbed back on stage and yelled, well, thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home. He threw down the mic and stormed off. All right, but here's what I don't get on this. Axel's pissed off that somebody's taking photos at a concert. Like, what kind of detriment can that have to the show? The only thing I could think of was they would sell the, the picture and make money off of it and he wouldn't get a cut. That's the only thing I can think of because I thought but, the I mean, same exact still, like uh, I mean, who fucking cares at that point? What are you getting off of that photo? You know what I mean? Like, well, it would be it, it would be more interesting if this was like a one off. But it, in all honesty, like oh, this, this dude, is regular. He just yeah, he's got a problem with everything. He's looking for fights, man. You would think that as a celebrity of that stature, and this is what is your bread and butter that you. Would not pick the fights during this one part of yeah. your career. Or if, you're, didn't give a fuck. or if you're built like that, you wouldn't pick fights where you, there's a ton of people watching and you may get beat the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, you he, know. Oh, he had back. He didn't give a fuck. So he storms off and the rest of the band followed him. Thousands of fans stormed the stage and destroyed the band's equipment, tore down fences and the video screens on the stage. Yeah, Worth didn't, it. Didn't he get charged with inciting a riot That's on exactly this? That's exactly right. He was charged with inciting a riot, but authorities weren't able to arrest him until almost a year later. In gratitude, GNR added, fuck you, St. Louis, in the thank you section of Use Your Illusion 2's artwork. Oh, nice. The next year, a lot went wrong when two of the biggest heavy metal bands in the world, Metallica and Guns N' Roses, Rolled into Montreal on August 8th, 1992. Now, first off, this should have been the best fucking tour of all time. Metallica yeah. and Guns N' Roses? Are you kidding For me? For the time that it was oh, at? Like, yeah, I mean, if, you're a teenager, if you're a teenager, then you get tickets to that. It's got to be, it's like the Holy Grail, man. Yeah, I know, exactly. During Metallica's set, James Hetfield was seriously burned on stage in a pyrotechnic accident, mm -hmm. cutting Metallica's show short. When Hetfield was rushed to the hospitals, promoters tried to get GNR on stage which took two hours and 15 minutes to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Guns N' Roses only played nine songs that night. Their usual set list was about 20 songs, usually. Yeah, yeah. So they went through about half of their set. Yep. I also like to think, though, like the actual sound when it happened. But whom the bell to hell got it? James, are you okay? James. Well, you got to imagine like the greasy hair catching on fire. Oh, That's dude. the first thing I think yeah, of. Yeah, he stepped well, no, into a... Uh, he have the greasy hair? Is it more like the guitar? No, he had, at that time he had long hair. And he stepped... Yeah, that was... Uh, Kirk Hammett had the yeah. greasy hair. But yeah, he stepped into a pyrotechnic blast. And that's that's, <laughs> for, that's like a burn. He got, I mean, he literally like, it ripped his arms. Like, oh. like burned it clean off. So what, he's like the crib oh. keeper from yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. playing now all of a yeah. sudden? <laughs> yeah, he went from that deep ooh to like, oh, God. <laughs> so everybody said that the band was off kilter from the start. Axel was having trouble with the monitor speakers, and instead of finding someone to fix the issue, he broke his microphone, sat down on the monitors, and then walked off stage never to return. That's a great way to handle it. Yep. His bad performance may have been a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
He apparently believed bad juju fell behind the cities that begin with the letter M that they performed in. Well, this goes into his whole homeopathy thing and the regression therapy, you know. But what about Millie Wake? He's <laughs> actually an Indian name. <laughs> Love that scene. That's one of the fucking greatest scenes. In, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Alice Cooper. Yeah. Pulled that one out mm-hmm. in Wayne's world. Fans rioted when they realized GNR wasn't coming back to the stage. Piles of t-shirts were set on fire, police cars were overturned, and the stadium souvenir shop was looted. Backstage, Axel drank champagne with groupies while his management spat it with the concert promoters, and the rest of the band partied like it was 1999 at that point. Thing was, it wasn't really me, you know what I'm saying? Now, pull me some more Moet, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> then, of course, there was a run-in. With Kurt Cobain. Yes, oh, this is notorious. Yeah. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Unlike most other big hair 80s rock star acts, Axel was seriously impressed with Nirvana, and in particular their 1991 record, Nevermind, mm-hmm. which is fucking banging, man. I absolutely, huge fan of Nirvana. I've been since, yeah, sure. you know, oh, way, way, way yep. back in the day. Oh, absolutely. He invited Kurt Cobain and his crew to perform at his birthday party and join GNR and Metallica on the worldwide tour. Cobain turned Rose down, wanting nothing to do with what he considered corporate rock. That sounds yeah. very Kurt Cobain, doesn't it? Yeah, that, that was, was very Kurt, asking, But I mean, was that an accurate interpretation of what was going on at the time? I think so. I mean, honestly, I think it's a dumb... I remember watching the... I was a huge Nirvana fan as well, and then he was had this interview where he was talking about, like, he was like, you know, most people want to do like this and that and, like, brush their teeth. And, you know, like, seriously, like, <laughs> you're asking the wrong... This? Yeah, and I was like, you're asking the wrong dude to show up to your birthday party. He was, like, the, the antithesis of that. That's what he actually, like, It was, like, like the one guy on, that did not care. Didn't want to do... Just, and it was actually part of his act. Yeah. yeah was sure. to be like, I don't care about any of this. All right. So the tension between the bands exploded at the 1992 MTV Video Music Awards when Courtney Love, Cobain's wife, saw Axel backstage. She sarcastically asked him to be the godfather of their child, Pissed, Axel said to Cobain, You shut your bitch up or I'm going to take you to the pavement. Ooh. Cobain turned to love and sarcastically said, Shut up, bitch. <laughs> and that made everybody oh, around them laugh, yeah, which yeah. only pissed Axel yeah, off which even got more. Everyone laughing at him. So Axel stormed off. Later, GNR bassist Duff McKeegan pushed Nirvana bassist Chris Novoselic around, and then Dave Grohl taunted Rose from the stage. Some GNR members tried to tip over Nirvana's trailer in which Cobain's daughter was napping at the time. Mm. Cobain left a few spitballs on what he thought was Rose's keyboard, and as it turns out, it was Elton, Elton John. John. No! <laughs> man, I didn't yep. ever heard that story. So That's talk awesome. about two but, worlds colliding, man. Yeah. Like, and also the metal. whole time. When Kurt's retelling the story, he's mm-hmm. like, I'm sitting here talking to Axel, but I'm like shaking the whole time. I think Kurt was like literally scared that yeah. Axel Rose was going to beat his ass. Well, because like, can you imagine Kurt Cobain trying to defend himself? Like <laughs> he was notorious. Like he, even he himself is just like, can't I can't fight. fight him. A big sissy. I'm yeah. sorry. And Axel yeah. Rose is like jumping into fucking like crowds, crowds, crowds and like, punching oh, people. He's been arrested 20 times yeah. for drunken fighting. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the guy's. Can probably handle it's like himself. the Special Olympics of fighting, though. At the end of the day, because I mean, sincerely, like, oh, you're like, oh, two pasty elite singers. The badness of Kurt Cobain versus Axl Rose. It sounds like a celebrity death match from the 2000s, <laughs> yeah. like the claymation, and they're both just pasty and just oh, it's I, horrible. Yeah, then either one of them are gonna be. Well, I don't know. I guess Axl Rose can fight pretty well, but <laughs> Kurt Cobain uh, certainly can't fight. Never really wanted to fight. Nah, didn't yeah. want to. He's tired. He's he's dope sick. <laughs> oh, it's true. You know yeah. it. <laughs> quick before your boss walks by and you have to minimize your screen give us a quick follow on twitter and instagram and give us a like on facebook your support is much appreciated now back to the action so guns and roses continue to find success no matter how strung out some of them got and when they released their next massive hits use your illusion one and two they embarked on one of the biggest world tours that music had ever seen yep i remember that by the time Guns N' Roses wrapped up their world tour in 1993, they had played 192 shows in 27 countries and in front of more than 7 million people. The band had been on the road for two and a half years, which made the jaunt for that time and perhaps still the longest tour in rock and roll history. Wow. wow that's yeah, that's... Use your illusion tours. During the last show at Estadio River Plot in Buenos Aires, Argentina, on July 17, 1993, following the song, You're Crazy, a man dressed in a Domino's pizza uniform walked on stage to deliver 
a piping hot pie to the band which singer Axl Rose tossed into the crowd. Now, was this the Noid, like from back in the day? I don't know if it was the Noid. He said it was in a Domino's pizza uniform. That's all I <laughs> if said. If this is the 80s and this is Domino's, I'm guessing it's the fucking That'd Noid. Awesome. Out on yeah. the Avoid the Noid. <laughs> this was a, from an interview with Slash. He said it was totally an Axl thing. I had no clue that he set it up. So. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So Axel set it up and then he threw a hot-ass pizza on someone's yep. face? Yeah, absolutely. He threw a hot-ass pizza <laughs> on the fucking crowd. Even at 44, Axel was up to his classic wild man antics. While on tour in Sweden in 2006, Rose was arrested for allegedly biting a security guard in the leg. The guard was trying to break up an argument between Rose and a woman in a hotel lobby and somehow managed to get attacked by the rock star. Uh, but he bit his leg. Bit so. his leg. I feel like that... Uh, That's some Mike Tyson type shit right well, think there. About well, what happened. He probably tried to break it up. There's a wrestling tight... Yeah, and then, then Axel was on the floor. <laughs> he got fucking manhandled. And he's like, I'll show you one. He's like, get her ankle, bitch. <laughs> when the police arrived, Rose was drunk, aggressive, and had to be restrained. He was left in a cell overnight since he was too intoxicated to be properly questioned. After admitting to the charges, Rose was given a fine of $5,500 and had to pay $1,360 to the security guard. Yeah, it's a very specific number, Mm -hmm. but chump change. Yeah. There are probably hundreds, if not thousands, of insane rock star stories about these guys. And from the research I did leading up to this, I would imagine most of them are probably pretty true. Now, we have a friend that actually had a story with Axl Rose, right? We do. We do. Mikey, go ahead. Uh, So, yeah, a friend of ours. He was on a traveling soccer team back in the 80s. This is probably 88. And uh, he's, I think at the time he was probably, he was roughly like seven or eight years old. They were staying at this hotel and it happened to be the same hotel that Guns N' Roses was staying at as well. On Jacksonville, tour. Florida. That's right. This is in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, our friend told us that they were blown away when they saw Guns N' Roses walk in and they were all super excited because at this point, remember, this is like 88. This this was the biggest band in the world. It's, oh, yeah. Can you imagine like the motor coach pulling up? Oh, and yeah. Axel and Slash yeah. and Duff. Yeah. And come walking off. And he said that uh, they were so excited that they actually, at one point, Axel came through and was wearing a fur coat with just a whitey tidy like boxer brief underwear <laughs> and had a bottle of whiskey and, and two cowboy chicks boots. and cowboy boots and two chicks. And so they immediately went up to him and were like, can we get your autograph? And he was like, yo, kids, get the hell out of here before I spank your ass. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so they spanked their ass. Yeah. And uh, scared the kids off. They ran off or whatever. And there was an indoor pool. And uh, our friend said that later on they were all swimming there. And the rest of Guns N' Roses showed up and were like really cool. Like slashing them. Came and played like sharks and minnows with them and stuff like that. <laughs> but, uh, and they're like, can Slash even see to be a shark? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it, his hair looked like a bunch of seaweed or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, they said the Axel was a giant dick and the rest of the band was super cool. And there you go. There you go. It fits uh, the stories that uh, we're hearing about Axel. That's you know? exactly right. Get your ass out of here, all spanking, bitch. That's right. If you were going to a Guns N' Roses show back then, it would have been smart to take a nap during the day because they hardly, if ever, went on stage at showtime. Fans were constantly pissed at their shows, having to wait two to three hours sometimes for the band to take the stage. What were they doing? I guess the better question we'll find out is, what was Axel doing? In his interview with Del James, James asked him very candidly, what the fuck, dude? One thing that has people exasperated is the late showtimes. Why do you go on so late? James asked him. Axel said, I pretty much follow my own internal clock, and I perform better later at night. Nothing seems to work out for me until later at night, and it is our show. I don't want to make people sit around and wait. It drives me nuts. That hour and a half to two hour time period that I'm late going on stage is living hell. I'm late to everything. I've always wanted to have it written in my will that when I die, the coffin shows up a half hour late and says on the side, like in gold, sorry I'm late. Man, I tell you what, he's it's automatically scoring extra points for me because y'all know me. I'm completely neurotic about being on time. Yes, you are. I hate it's just so rude to be late because you're like discounting the other person's time, man. And I like when I saw Guns N' Roses, this was like twenty eleven, and I went and saw Radiohead first and happened to luck out and see them 
across the street at the tabernacle. Like we got there and like everybody was pissed. Everybody's mad. Like it's just a dick move to just be late, man. Why do that? Well, I mean, like it's one thing if you make like plans with your buddies mm-hmm. and you're like, hey, let's all meet over at the bar at eight o'clock and then you show up at nine or something like that. You know what? All right. You know, it's not the coolest move, but mm-hmm. you know what? Fuck you. You're just hanging out with your buddies. It's another thing when you are a band mm-hmm. and you're like, hey, we're going to play at the Hard Rock at yeah. 10 o'clock at night. But you don't show up till fucking 1130. Like everybody bought your tickets. Mm-hmm. Everybody is paying to see you show the fuck up on yeah. time. So, Dell asked him, what goes on before you take the stage? What actually makes you late? Axel says, The chiropractor we work with on the road tapes my ankles professionally. I kept twisting my ankles during shows, and it still happens now and then. I have weak ankles. Always have. I used to run cross-country, and that was one of the things that got in the way of that. So I work with the chiropractor. I work with the massage therapist, because I put a lot of stress on my lower back. And with what I do on stage... There's a lot of rebuilding that has to be done. There's operatic voice exercise, and I started therapy in February of 91, and Jesus, I'm right in the middle of stuff. I mean, if a heavy emotional issue surfaces and you've got a show in four hours, you have to figure out how to get that sorted out really quick before you get on stage so that you're not in the middle of jungle and have a breakdown. The pressure of having to do the show when whatever else is going on in my life is hard to get past. We did a show in Finland where I just couldn't understand why I was doing what I was doing. I sat down right when I was singing Civil War, and I was kind of looking at my lips while I was singing and looking at the microphone and looking at the roadies, and everything just shut off. Well, that doesn't make for a very good show. We're out here to win at what we do, and if that means going on two hours late and doing a good show, I'm going to do it. I take what I do very seriously. See, that's where I'm kind of like, man, fuck all that. Like, get all that shit in order before you go out on tour. You know what I mean? Like, you have all these fans that are there to hear your show and, you know, they're paying you for Mm -hmm. that. Like, figure all that shit out. Don't go into deep therapy two hours before you're supposed to go on at Madison Square Gardens. Yeah. Or make sure your fucking time is at midnight or whenever you feel comfortable with it or whatever. And uh, honestly, the reason that people hate Axl Rose the most is because he's fucking late all the time. So figure that shit out, dickhead. (laughs) So James went on to say, let's say a fan stopped you on the street and said, listen, I bought all your records, but I'm sick of your bullshit. I come to your show and you're two hours late. Like, I have to fucking work the next day and you don't give a fuck about me. A fucking men. Yep. Axl says, if I didn't give a fuck about them, I'd come out and do a shitty show. I'd come out and tell them to fuck off. I'd sit down, sing the songs off key, and just not care. But I do care, and I also care too much about myself to do that. It's confusing to me that people go, well, I have to work in the morning. If you were getting laid, you wouldn't be so worried about what time it was. I know it's complicated, but so is getting on stage, and I'm sorry. I try to make it up by coming out and doing a good show and explaining as much as I can about what was going on in my head and why we weren't there. Yeah, I, I I just I I can't agree with that. Well, no, uh, yeah. in any shape, form, or fashion, you that's know, like, his deal. So Axel is not the first artist to need some time to get into a good headspace before a show. Although it wasn't always getting those ankles taped and operatic voice exercises that delayed his starts. In a Ranker.com article, a DJ from Tampa, Florida, witnessed this punctuality problem firsthand in 1991 while working as an assistant to a venue owner. As the witness tells it. When the owner asked why Axel was late for the thousandth time, he said, Axel's management said he was watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles oh, 2, man. The Secret of the Ooze, and Axel's attention was 100% on the movie and couldn't be bothered. Side note, this is the second mention of TMNT's Secret of the Ooze on our show. I believe Vanilla Ice got a shout out in the Suge Knight episode for that's his right. Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go on that one. Well, yeah, he did, and maybe that's what Axel was like trying to be like, all right, check it. And Elias made it in the first episode. There was nobody in the second one. I could be in the third one. I'm going to be honest right now. I'm taking away an asshole point because if he's loving Secret of the Ooze like I do, <laughs> I understand. I mean, honestly, there's some times where like, we're going to do a show and I'm like, I'm a little bit busy because I'm busy watching Secret, Secret of the Ooze. Bebop and Rocksteady, That's man. Right. And just one more for good measure. There was the chili and cheese request. Axel made a special mm. food order request minutes before he was supposed to go on stage before a crowd of 80,000 in Buenos Aires in July of 1993. 
His assistant, Craig Deucewalt, panicked but wasn't surprised. The rest of the band was already at the venue. Rose was at his hotel craving chili and cheese. Hmm. Dangerous move with those white shorts. Right. On the road. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't on the room service menu. Deucewalt knew the show wouldn't go on if Rose didn't get what he knew what he wanted. So he explained as best as he could to the hotel kitchen staff exactly what chili and cheese was. It's got beans in it, and it's got meat in it. No, this is the promoter. I know, but I'm still doing my joke, (laughs) and I got these white tidy pants, and if I shit myself, then I ain't sure as hell ain't going out to him. (laughs) An hour later, a platter was delivered to the room containing a chunk of cheese and a few chili peppers. A big old Velveeta block. (laughs) Deucewalt smashed the dish against the wall to distract Rose and blame the hotel for screwing up the order. Unbelievable! Axel forgot his craving, and the show went on. Man. What a fucking train wreck to have to deal with, man. Jesus Christ. Like, that kind of... I'm in Argentina. I want chili. Seriously, man. Like, to me, like, at our house, I make our own chili. Uh It is really, really good. I'll brag on myself. Our Uh chili's good. But it's, uh, you know... It's a day-long process. It is. That, and I don't get, like, these hardcore cravings for it, you know? It's like one night it might be really, really cold and say, oh, it's a good night for chili, you know? Yeah. And you, you do it that way. But not uh, before I have to go on in front of 80,000 people and be like, hmm, yeah. chili and cheese. Sounds like that's what I need to have. Yeah, and then we're like that now. White bicycle shorts. And then he's like, got police officer's hat. And he the calls over to, like, I'm, slash. Boop, 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 boop. Hey, slash. You see Wendy's around here, man? I need some goddamn chili. Another issue, they got Axel into some hot water and pissing people off, where it's controversial lyrics in certain songs. Mm-hmm. It's hard to listen to a song like One in a Million and think, hmm, not a racist or a bigot, Axel. His sometimes crude and depiction of women, immigrants, and homosexuals just added fuel to the flames when Axel and GNR were already in the spotlight and catching shit for the above-mentioned stories. The interview with Del Jam gave Axel's take on the whole thing. And to his credit, he answered the question, but I'll just read his response and let you be the judge. And this is verbatim what Axel Rose said, not in my words or any of our words at all. Just want to preface that with this. It can bother me, but the racist thing is just bullshit. I used a word that was taboo, and I used the word because it was taboo. I was pissed off about some black people that were trying to rob me. I wanted to insult those particular black people. I didn't want to support racism. When I used the words faggots, I wasn't coming down on the gays. I was coming down on an element of gays. I had just heard a story about a man who was released out of L.A. County Jail with AIDS, and he was hooking. I've had my share of dealings with aggressive gays, and I was bothered by it. The Bible says, Thou shalt not judge. And I guess I just made a judgment call. And it was an insult. The racist thing, that's just stupid. I can understand how people always think that, but that's not how I meant it. I believe there's always going to be some form of racism. As much as we'd like to say there's peace, because people are different, black culture is different. I work with a black man every day, Earl Gabadon, my bodyguard, and he's one of my best friends. There are things he's into that are definitely a black thing, but I like them. There are things that are that way. I think there always will be. That was the inspiration for the Guns N' Roses song, I'm Not Racist, I Have a Black Friend. <laughs> That's absolutely, I was just thinking the same thing. Oh, I got uh, black debuted friends. on yeah. South Park. I got black yeah. friends. I'll be honest, it sucks because they had to make a conscious decision to record and use the words they did. I heard that the band didn't like it, but Axel was the one that demanded that they record and play it. Just yeah. adamant about it. Well, and that's the thing, too, is like, because uh, a lot of people can be like, well, it was a different time. That shit was hard as nails when it came out, even then. I remember oh, yeah. people like, holy Absolutely. shit, dude. Like, yeah. There you go. So, time stands still for no one. After Guns N' Roses went on their massive tour that was over by 1993, the band took a well-deserved break. But over the next few years, from 94 to 97, the band struggled to agree artistically and personally. Now, is this after Use Your Illusion? Yeah. Yeah, Right after that tour. That's exactly right. Beefs had been reportedly built up between band members and Axel. And by 1997, only Axel was a remaining original member. And one other member from the Use Your Illusion tour, Dizzy Reed, were the remaining members. Yeah. That's when uh, Slash left and started Slash and Snake Pit. That's right. Okay. Yep. Yep. From what I read, a lot of the infighting had to do with Axel 
pretty much letting dudes in the band without other guys' approval. They would argue and fight, and some would quit. And then they also had some issues with drug use, obviously, among the members of the band. I know Steven Adler got kicked out. Yeah, so I was going to say, you have to be a rip-roaring all-star drug user to get kicked out Guns of Guns Roses. and Roses. Yeah, oh, shit. Yeah, and Steven means- Adler, yeah, they said they, they literally told Steven Adler, like, you're using too many drugs. And this was at the time where I read a piece of uh, Slash's thing, his autobiography, where he was so high that he smashed through a glass window and ran around on a golf course naked in Palm Springs, I think. Yeah, oh, Slash was ripped on heroin oh, for a long time. Well, they're saying during the heyday of Guns N' Roses, Axel once threw a grand piano through a glass window's out in either to a parking lot or down into like the uh, foyer of a fucking hotel. It's like the yeah, man I of steel. About that, yeah. yeah. How does he pick up a fucking grand no, piano? No, he rolls it. Rolls it's it. on yeah. wheels. Yeah. They roll Through it. A that's, yeah, it does, that actually is an interesting uh, thing too, because that was like the height of sex, drugs, and rock and roll right. era, exactly where it was right. like, if you want to be a rock star, you fuck shit up. You have tons of sex. You do tons of drugs. You trash the hotel room. And we, were, I think we were the last sort of wave of that generation where that was kind of cool. And then, like, the, the kids now are like, why would you do that to a grand piano? Yeah, yeah exactly. You know what I'm saying? And I'm nice like, look at them. Yeah, it's a nice uh, musical instrument. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, wow, these are pretty cool kids now. <laughs> it's not like you see the Jonas Brothers going in and smashing hotel rooms this and throwing true. TVs out the yeah. window. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, I this would pay true. money to see that, though. <laughs> <laughs> Axel also said he was ready to keep the band progressing and others weren't ready to follow suit. I can see that. According to a Guardian.com article from 2003, it said that the way Rose sees it, he's reinventing Guns N' Roses for the new millennium because the other guys simply weren't up to it. They laughed behind his back at his healthy lifestyle and new age obsessions, drank and drugged too much in the rehearsal studio, and were still content to jam on old Aerosmith riffs when Rose was trying to introduce them to DJ Shadow and Nine Inch Nails. According to his Wikipedia page, together with the other members of Guns N' Roses' classic lineup, Rose was inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2012 in their first year of eligibility. They should have been, absolutely. He did not attend the induction ceremony in April of that year. However, as he announced in an open letter three days prior, he had long been on bad terms with several of his former bandmates and wrote that the ceremony doesn't appear to be somewhere where I'm actually wanted or respected. Uh, man, you got to show up for your rock and roll induction. He's a drama queen, bro. What do you mean wanted or respected? They're fucking inducting you to the Hall of Fame. Jesus Christ. Yeah, right. but when you've been on the outskirts with all of your band members for right. so long. like Yeah, well, fix it up then. Oh, you're well, a dick. There's a reason why everybody else is still hanging out. Yeah, well, no, I'm with you. So this definitely doesn't make him an asshole in the slightest, but I thought it was an interesting tidbit about Axel. In 2014, he was named the greatest singer of all time by factmag.com based on his vocal range. It's said that Axel's range is from an F1 to a B flat six, which is five octaves, two and a half notes. In the Fact Mag article, it had Mariah Carey second and Prince coming in third. Wow. But according to a societyofrock.com article from 2016, it says originally thought to possess the greatest vocal range in modern music with a range spanning five octaves, Beating out the likes of Mariah Carey and even Steven Tyler, it's not Axel leading the pack. According to a study done by VVN Music, it's Faith No More singer Mike Patton Mm -hmm. with a vocal range spanning six octaves. The Faith No More singer is among one of the most celebrated yet underrated vocalists in rock, especially hopping genres and using the full scope of his range in classics like Epic, and midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. Rose oh, wants it all, dude. but he can't mm-hmm. have it. Epic is a badass song. Yeah, the, uh, and the fish flopping around, the piano blowing up, the pounding bass guitar. The article actually had David Lee Roth at a higher range than Axel as well. David Lee Roth had five octaves, three notes, versus Axel's five octaves, two and a half notes. But mm. either way, big range, big big range. On April 16, 2016, Australian rock band ACDC announced that Axl Rose will be joining them and performing as the lead singer for the remainder of their band's Rocker Bus World Tour after longtime lead vocalist Brian, Brian Johnson. Johnson yep, had to stop touring due to hearing problems. He filled in, did a good job, and they even talked about him taking over full-time for ACDC after the tour was over. So, 
Right now, I know that Guns N' Roses is still touring. They're coming to Atlanta here in August. They got pretty creative with the tour name this go-round. Guns N' Roses Tour 2020. Mm. Oh, wow. Yep. I was looking at the reviews of the tour online. It looks like they're fucking killing it, honestly. Uh, lots of good reviews. They come out on time. They put on a good show. And they got to be making money hand over fist right now. The tickets here in Atlanta were about $100 to get in the door, all the way up to $600 to be right by the stage. Would you guys pay that? No. No. <laughs> all right. <laughs> no, right now. Uh, yeah, not in this current. I'm not even really risking it too because uh, like I've already I paid money to see him at one point and I sat there for fucking. Here's my thing: is I am a huge Guns N' Roses. Fan. I am too. A I'm, massive. Fan. I might pay a buck twenty five to get not nosebleed, but a little bit better than nosebleed to be down there. It's like a Tuesday night too, which is brutal. I don't blame I'll anybody pass. for doing it. I just like for me personally, I don't even like concerts that much anymore. So it's, for me, it's totally out. So there's a lot to digest with Axl Rose. We've got a bank of stories that could go on for days about wild nights and stupid decisions that were made. He did get arrested a lot, and the lyrics that he chose to put out that use words that we don't even broach here on AHC is definitely a poor decision, in my opinion. And you hope his explanation is a true representation of him. He made his fans wait and wait. But you can follow that one under Axel being Axel. All in all, he's definitely higher on the asshole scale than a normal guy. But like we always say, he didn't kill anyone. So my final asshole rating for Axl Rose is 6.25. Okay. All right. All right. So for my final asshole score for good old Bill Rose over here. Billy Bailey. I'm going to score him a little bit higher. I don't love that he makes his audience wait. I, I think that's just bullshit. Everybody's coming here to see you. You have nothing else going on in your life. Like fucking get up, show up on time and perform. That's all your audience is asking for you. So if you could do that, that'd be great. Um, other than that, I I do know through my research that he assaulted his first wife with a wine bottle over a disagreement. Or maybe it wasn't his wife. Maybe it was like... It, it was, she didn't know that she was in the jungle. Yeah, apparently. But I know that one of his neighbors... I believe it was one of his neighbors that he attacked with a wine bottle. She was a female... And, you know, that's not never, a good look. That's never a good look here on Asshole Court. So that's going to push up your score with me. All the fighting that he had with his bandmates. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, I think I'm going to have to jump Axel Rose's final asshole score up to a 7.5. All right. So, all right. Uh, Axel Rose, here's the deal for me. I love Guns N' Roses so much. I think he's a giant dick. I had to wait for like way too long to see him show up on stage and be a big fat ass run around and be a dick. But overall, I'm going to say that he's not a horrible person. He's never killed anybody. I actually have a sort of connection with him in terms of like growing up in a weird ass church. So I'll have to give him some points for that. And also uh, for loving Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, TMNT, <laughs> nice. big fan of that. So Here's the deal, though. We didn't really get into it too much, but I think he did physically assault like a couple girlfriends. So I don't know. I'm gonna give him. Uh, I'm gonna give him seven. I'll give him seven. So Axel Rose's final asshole score is gonna be a six point nine one. Six point nine one for Axel Rose. All right. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Asshole Court. Make sure you guys like us on your favorite podcast platforms and definitely go out and give us a follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We absolutely appreciate the support. Tell all your friends, tell your neighbors. See you next time on Asshole Court. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to hear more of Asshole Court, find us anywhere you download your favorite podcasts. Give us a good rating on your favorite platform. It really does help. You'll definitely want to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at AHC Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, depending on what you have to say. So until next time, remember the golden rule, don't be an asshole, or you might find yourself on Asshole Court.